San Antonio resident Angela Radke had a really tough decision to make. In a parking lot on a sweltering summer day, she saw a one-year-old boy in jeopardy, locked inside his car with the windows rolled up, hot, sweaty, thirsty, and clearly in distress. So she went and found the local security guard um, who told her that if you break into this car, you are very likely to be arrested. So if you're in Angela's shoes, what do you do? Break into the car, get this kid out, everyone, okay? She tells the security guard, she said, I don't care if I get arrested. I'm gonna save this baby. And with that, she got a tire iron. She smashed in one of the windows. She crawled in, sustaining a few cuts and bruises along the way. She unlocked the car and pulled the baby out. Of course, the police were called. They came to question her. They decided to not charge her with any crime. Instead, they charged the dad with child endangerment because he left his one-year-old son in a car unattended for 45 minutes and he told the police that he had forgotten that his son was in the car. So not only does he get arrested, but he also lost his dad of the year status. It's gonna take a while to get that back. And so we have a term for heroes like Angela Racky who come to the aid of total strangers. Anyone know what the term is? This is our theme for today. We call her a what? A good Samaritan, right? Good Samaritan, it's of course a biblical term that even most non-Christians in a post-Christian culture know very well. As a matter of fact, it's probably the most well-known story that Jesus ever told. Angela Racky was not charged for the crime because of the Good Samaritan laws that protect uh, her and those that give assistance to a person who's injured or ill or incapacitated or in danger. In essence, these Laws protect the Good Samaritan from liability, from any unintended consequences that result from giving assistance. So today we're going to look at the OG, the original Good Samaritan. Anyone? One person? Okay, thank you. Two? Maybe? I'm three. I thought that was funny. Um, and here's what Jesus is going to do. Two things. He's going to expand the size of our neighborhood. Okay? And he's going to teach us how to be a better neighbor. And so as we hear this familiar story, what we want to ask ourselves is a really simple question. What is so good about the Samaritan? All right, let's pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love and give us strength to follow on the path that you set before us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Here we go. Luke 10, 25 to 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was coming down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan while traveling came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three, says Jesus, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. So the lawyer wants to know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which I think is interesting, bless you, um, that he's assuming that there's things that he needs to do. I wonder if he had a little, you know, itemized checklist. He wants a little, some boxes to check as he goes along the way, and he wants to make sure he's checking those boxes. And Jesus responds to him in like vintage Jesus form. He responds with two questions, not an answer. And the questions are, well, what do the scriptures say? And the second question was, what do they mean? So what does the scripture say, and what does it mean? And to his credit, this lawyer knows the scriptures well. He answers correctly. He quotes from Deuteronomy. He says that one should love God with everything they've got. Then he quotes out of Leviticus, saying that you should also love your neighbor as yourself. The law of love, Jesus' greatest commandment. Love God and love neighbor. These are the things, and then Jesus said, these are the things that lead to life. So the lawyer gets it, sort of. Unfortunately, he gets hung up on this technicality. He asks another question. He says, well, who is my neighbor? What he really wants to know is, who am I responsible for? Do I have to love everyone? Or are there some people that... I don't have to love. And does my responsibility to others, does it have limits? And so the lawyer wants to limit the size of his neighborhood. And Jesus wants to expand the size of his neighborhood. And so he's going to tell a story. Well, the lawyer has conveniently divided people up into two simple categories, us and them, my people and everybody else. Now, before we beat this guy up, which would be easy to do, we probably need to take a moment, put ourselves in his shoes. If I asked you this question, and you don't have to answer it, this is going to be rhetorical. Normally, when I ask a question, this one I don't want an answer because we, we don't want to call ourselves out. Too bad here. If I said, who are your people, could you answer? Now, think about that for a second. If I said, do you know who your people are, could you answer that question? I thought about it. I could answer that question. All right? So our text, this is what it seems to be implying. The lawyer, he's taken really good care of his people. He knows who his people are. He's very clear about that, I think. And he's taken really good care of his people. He's taken great care of the people who are just like him. And so we normally think of neighbor based on proximity, the people who live close to us. Tragically, I don't know if people know this. I, I enjoy reading stuff like this because it interests me. Most people don't even know their neighbors. Most people don't even know the names of their neighbors. Like, that's just a fact, right? Um, it's kind of sad. So, like, we've been on our street for, what, 15, 16 years, something like that. Um, and there's been very little turnover on our street. It took a little while, but we now finally know all of our neighbors. We know all their names. And this is, like, a really surprisingly diverse group of people that's on our street. We're all on a first-name basis now. We occasionally get together, I think, actually, this coming weekend. We have a little, like, two weeks. We have a little block party thing going on with our neighbors, which is really cool. Uh, so we occasionally get together, have a little party or chat on the street like we did with our next-door neighbor yes, just yesterday morning. Uh, we're always looking out for each other. And as a matter of fact, after I had my surgery a couple months ago, 
multiple neighbors said, oh, we can do some house chores for you, mow your lawn, you should have seen my grass was like this high because I couldn't push a lawnmower, um, and offered to do a bunch of stuff for us. That, that's, what neighbors, that's what neighbors do, right? And we've got some good neighbors after 15 years. It's easy for us to be neighborly with the people on our street. They are our people. Despite the fact that they're a diverse group, they are my people. It's easy for me to be neighborly to them. But in order to expand the lawyer's neighborhood, in order to show him and us what a good neighbor looks like, Jesus tells this very familiar story that builds on a really common narrative. A traveler on a 17-mile road from Jericho to Jerusalem was attacked and left to die sitting on the side of the road. It was notorious, this road, for thieves and bandits because of the caves that lined the road on the way. So it was the perfect place to commit these kind of crimes. The desperate traveler, what's he, he can't do anything. Pre-cell phone, no roadside assistance. What was that thing called? Uh, life alert. Yes, that's it. No life alert, no clapper. I mean, the things that could have helped this guy. No AAA, no CHP, no safety net. Carter, thank you. Yeah, no CB. I mean, we could just go on and on. This guy, what we're supposed to assume, without some good Samaritan, this is a, this is a dead man. Okay? And so we're all familiar, right, with the jokes that all begin with some variation of three people go into a bar. Okay? So there's a million of those, right? Like, I thought about, I thought about one, and I just decided to let it go. Um, but we know, we understand the premise of that joke, right? No, I, I can't remember it for some reason. But we know the, the premise. The reason that those jokes work is because we have made the stereotypes and assumptions that we make about people, that's what make those jokes funny. Without those assumptions and stereotypes, the punchline would just be, it's not, that's not funny. You know, the whole, that's the whole point. Jesus is really doing the same thing here, okay? So it's not a joke, though. That's the difference. So when Jesus says, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan go into a bar, I mean, are walking down the road. <laughs> what he's doing is he's purposely telling a very familiar story. He's playing on the fact that we have already made judgments and assumptions on who a priest is, a Levite, and a Samaritan. We know who these people are. Here's the difference. The typical story told by the rabbis did not include Samaritans. They just didn't. It was unthinkable. Samaritans wouldn't be nowhere to be found in this typical story that people would be expecting. And so as the traveler lies on the side of the road, his life flashing before his eyes, there's this glimmer of hope. A priest is walking toward him. Here's where our assumptions come into play. We assume that the priest is going to be someone that's going to stop and come to this guy's aid. Isn't that what priests are supposed to do? You see what Jesus is doing here? He's setting us up. <laughs> that's what he's doing. But what does the priest do? He walks to the other side of the road. This is important. He crosses, crosses over the road to the other side, getting as far away from, as possible, um, and he walks right on by. The Levite, who serves in the temple, a religious professional, another one, is coming down the road. This guy's thinking, oh, yes, here are my people. You see what Jesus is doing here? Oh, this is one of my guys coming. Certainly, this guy's going to stop, and he's going to help me. The Levite does the same thing. He counts the cost, and he's kind of like you were saying at the end of your Martin Luther King thing. He's, he's thinking about this. He's got places to go and people to see. He can't be inconvenienced by a dying man. 
Did anyone see those photographs of Everest this winter? Where people had to unhook their carabiner, step over a dying person, and then reclip onto the rope? This is where my mind went when I read this story. He counts the cost, he makes a decision, he crosses over to the other side of the road to keep as much distance as he possibly can and walks right on by. On his deathbed, devoid of hope, the dying traveler sees the dreaded Samaritan, the wrong person, a foreigner coming down the road, and we play the stereotypes. This guy's playing the stereotypes too. He says, the guy coming right now, this is not one of my people. I'm a dead man. This Jesus is just totally setting us up. We play the stereotypes. This guy's doing it. He's like, I'm dead. This is, I have no more hope. This is where things change. You would not get any help from this guy who despised him every bit as much as he and his people despised the Samaritan, right? This is a mutual thing we have going. The Samaritans were considered like basically less than subhuman. They're racial and ethnic half-breeds. They're religious deviants. They practiced a different form of Judaism that was despised by the Jews of Jesus' day. The hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans was really a really, a, it's a raw, real thing. Nobody would use the Samaritan as an example of goodness and love. Nobody except Jesus. So the priest and the Levite move to the other side of the road. They're getting as far away as possible from this dying man. The Samaritan shows us what a neighbor looks like and shows us what a neighbor does. So what's so good about a Samaritan? Anybody? What does this guy do that's different? Hmm? Okay, good. So this is what I thought. When I tried to summarize this, when I tried to answer this question, what is so good about a Samaritan? This is what I came up with. The priest and the Levite move further away, and the Samaritan draws near. To me, this is where I went, and the difference is just jumping off the page to me. Here, Luke details six things. He says, here's what the Samaritan did. He bandaged, bandaged his wounds. He anointed him with oil, placed him on his animal, brought him to the inn, took care of him, paid for his whole stay, maybe as much as three to three and a half weeks long. And so it's fascinating that in the first century, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. There's no such thing. It couldn't, those words could not have existed next to each other in the first century. This man is called good because he's willing to decrease the distance. Decrease the distance between himself and the other. Decrease the distance between himself and someone who was in dire need. And so maybe the most thought-provoking question I came across when I was studying this was this. This would be a good lunch conversation because I can't deal with it here. What if eternal life is known in nearness? Think about that one over lunch. We could talk about it theologically. God drawing near to us in the incarnation. Christ taking on flesh. And now we have this, Jesus wanting us to move toward those in need, no matter who they are. The priest and the Levite chose to create distance. They chose to disengage. They chose detachment. They quickly counted the cost of helping, and they said to themselves, no way am I going to get involved in that mess that's that guy. So now we have to take this, make it a little bit more personal. So I'm including myself in this, as I always do. These are some questions that I thought about. 
How often do we do the same thing as the Levite and the priest? How often do we create distance between ourselves and suffering? Do we ever cross over to the other side of the road? Do we ever count the cost? Do we ever develop exit strategies on how we're going to move further away? Do we count the cost of coming to someone's aid before we help? As I reflected on those questions, I know I've done that more times than I would care to admit. The priest and the Levite saw only the otherness of the Samaritan. They didn't see the humanness of the Samaritan. They didn't see him as a neighbor because he wasn't one of their people. Here is the most radical idea in Jesus' teaching of the Samaritan. The Samaritan serves as a Christ figure. This was the most shocking thing to me. The words had compassion, or in the translation that I read, it said moved with pity. Happens, occurs about three times in Luke, each time always a reference to God or God's agent. So the Samaritan, Luke is saying, is God's agent. God's agent of mercy is the wrong person. The one who is not like us, the one who doesn't come from our people, is the one that turns out to be the hero of the story, the neighbor, the right person, the good neighbor. It's like vintage Luke, a gospel that always takes things and flips it upside down. Just this morning, I woke up. When my alarm clock went off, I was dreaming, somehow thinking about this stuff. And I woke up with people on my mind, specific people on my mind. And I couldn't shake this image that I had in my mind of who are, who are these people in our culture. They, they're different. They may be different for each of us. We may answer them differently. But I woke up with this stuff, and I, I've been thinking about it all morning. You know, the interesting thing to me is that Jesus is saying, go and do likewise. Jesus says, yes, go and be merciful to whoever those people are for you. But Jesus is also saying that those people are going to show mercy to us. This is where, this is the really radical part. We need to be open to whoever these people are showing mercy and compassion on us. And so Jesus tells the lawyer and us, go and do likewise. Be like the Samaritan. He wants us to expand our neighborhood, to include those that we don't consider to be our people. In closing, I want to share one story. Tom Long, who's this uh, professor of preaching, tells this story in relation to the Good Samaritan. He said that when he was a kid on the wall of his grandmother's house in the sitting room of this like, old antebellum home in South Carolina was a wall of family portraits, a genealogy and photographs. And in the middle of the cluster, in the place of highest honor, was a portrait of someone that Tom did not recognize. It was a Civil War era photograph of this really good-looking young man dressed in a Union Army uh, uniform. And so it's very unusual, the portrait of a Yankee soldier in the place of honor in a, southern, uh, a South Carolina home where those sons had fought for the Confederacy. And so he asked his grandma, he sat down, he was staring at it, she saw him, she said, who is that man? She said, well, when you're old enough to understand, I'll tell you 
who he is. Years later, before she died, she saw him. He was again sitting, staring at this man who just did not fit into these, uh, these photographs that were on the wall. So she said, sat down beside him and told him the story. She said that man was a good man, a minister, a chaplain in the Union Army. And after the smoke had cleared from a battle at Williamsburg, Virginia, this chaplain got on his horse, he rode out onto the field of battle, and he was looking for wounded soldiers. He came across a 19-year-old Confederate soldier who was lying with a bullet that had shattered his leg at the knee, and he was bleeding to death and terrified. Feeling compassion even for the enemy, the chaplain lifted the boy, got him out of the ditch, put him on his horse. We, we see in this here. He drove him back on his horse, got him to the, the surgeon. They amputated his leg. After he recovered, this chaplain put together enough money of his own, and he sent this young man home to the delight of his family at his own expense. We know who this guy is in the picture. The 19-year-old Confederate soldier grew up also to be a minister himself, a teacher, and the president of Erskine College in South Carolina. And what was most significant to this young Tom, this is his great-grandfather, who was saved by this guy. And so the two men were bound together because of this moment. They remained friends for the rest of their lives. Um, and no one had to preach the parable of the Good Samaritan to Tom's family. His family had lived this parable. Who is our neighbor? Jesus expands our neighborhood to include those who are not like us and any person that we encounter that's in need. And what is a neighbor? A neighbor is a person who draws near. A neighbor is one who decreases the distance between themselves and the person in need and that demonstrates God's compassion and God's mercy. So when we encounter a person in need, we have to make a decision. We play it safe, we disengage, will we create distance, will we move to the other side of the road, will we count the cost, or will we draw near like the Christ figure Samaritan and show mercy? Will you pray with me? God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that it challenges us, that it surprises us. Even when we've heard this story time and time again, you still show us new things. God, may we decrease the distance between ourselves and those that we don't consider to be our people, whoever those people are. May we work to decrease the distance between ourselves and those who are hurting and in need. God, give us the strength and the courage to follow you wherever that might lead. Amen.